0: This is a song that we sing every Sunday morning and have sung every Sunday morning following the preaching for quite some time. I actually, I actually came up with the idea for this message back in October when I was preaching for the pastor in his absence, but um, I was prepared because he wasn't sure when he got home if he was going to have time to prepare a message and be able to preach that, that Sunday. So I had this message in my mind uh, and, and didn't preach it then because, as it turned out, he made it back and everything was fine. So I decided this time I would go ahead and complete the message, and I would share it with you. Um, We sing the song, as I said, every Sunday, but I have to wonder if we really understand the message in the song. So often we glibly speak words of great value, don't we? However, we have little to no appreciation for them. For instance... It's so easy to say, I love you, but do we really understand what it means to say this, and do we really feel that way? It is so easy to sing, I surrender all, but the real question is, do we really surrender all? Do we even understand what it means to surrender all? Now, I'm not trying to offend anyone tonight and i 'm not attempting tonight to pass judgment on anyone i 'm not trying to say tonight that you do not surrender all or that you do surrender all. Rather, I will let each of us determine for ourselves tonight whether or not we do. So allow me to pose some questions this evening as i as I looked at this song and I, I did some research on on the author of the song, I came came to find out that this song was written by a man who resisted following the will of God for many years in his life until finally he came to a point where he realized that his only answer was to surrender everything to the Lord and just put everything in his hands and allow the Lord to control all the things in his life. So the first question or the first thing I, I want to ask you tonight is this. Do you surrender your prosperity? Do you surrender your prosperity? The first verse of the song is, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. These are beautiful words, are they? Just beautiful words. They project a message of complete and total surrender. Complete and total trust. Like a small child. A young child is completely surrendered to his parents. As far as the area of his prosperity is concerned, that is. Maybe not necessarily in all of his obedience. But a small child depends upon his parents for everything. He trusts his parents to provide him everything that he needs but can we truly say this is our position tonight do we freely give all to jesus or do we give him that which is left over for instance our time do you give god only the do you give god the leftover time that you have throughout your week do you put Doing things for the Lord on the side because it's not convenient at the moment for you to serve the Lord? I think our time is something that we need to surrender to God. What about our talents? We talked about this already today. Our treasure. Do we tithe faithfully and sacrificially? Do we use our abilities in the work of the ministry? If you can sing, do you sing? If you can play an instrument, do you come forward and and offer that service to the Lord? Do we truly love him and trust him? Or do we love the world and the things of the world? And in so doing, live in the camp of those that hate God. I mentioned in chapel a few weeks ago as we were talking about doctrine to our teenagers and we were talking about obedience to God, I mentioned to them... I, you know, I, I think we have a great group of teens in our school. I really do. It's one of the best groups I've ever worked with. And I told them, I don't have any doubt that all of them, all of them love God, but I don't think that they're willing to let go of the world. They love the Lord, but they don't want to let go of the... Of the they're, they're too attracted to the world. They won't let go. And the same is true with many of us sitting in these pews tonight. I don't have any doubt that everyone I'm looking at loves God, but the problem is you don't want to let go of the world, you see. You won't let go of the allurements and, and, the, and the attractions of the world. And in so doing, we, we, end up find, we find ourselves in the camp of those that hate God. Do we live in his presence every day? Well, of course we do, because the Lord is always with us. But do we live with a conscious awareness of God? Every day. You know it's so easy to forget about God, isn't it? Isn't it so easy to all of a sudden you're busy and you stop and you, you realize, I haven't thought about the Lord for hours. We forget about God and we forget about his holiness. You see, we, we can surrender our prosperity to God tonight because God has promised to provide all that we need. In Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, But my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So if God has promised to provide all that we need, then why do we doubt him? And why do we withhold that which he deserves and not trust him? In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, Jesus states, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Do we trust him today? Or do we just give lip service to trusting God? Do we say that we trust him? Then how can we prove our trust to the Lord? Let me share a couple of thoughts with you on this. First, letter A, by our confidence in his promises. Philippians 1, verse 6, we read, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, until the day of Jesus Christ. That's just what Brother Gary's saying. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. If we lack confidence in a person, we cannot claim to trust them. For trust and confidence are inseparable. Now, in our flesh, we will find it very difficult to trust the promises of God. Not because we doubt that God keeps his promises... Rather, because we believe that we're not worthy of God's blessings. And we would be correct when we assume that we're not worthy of God's blessings, because we are not. But let me reiterate truth for you tonight. And truth is that God blesses us in spite of us. He does not bless us because we're worthy to be blessed. God blesses us because it is his will to bless us. Did you ever think about that? God doesn't doesn't provide everything he provides for you because you deserve it, because you're worthy. God doesn't look down from heaven and say, well, looky there, he deserves a new car. That's not, God doesn't do that. And we can't step up and say, okay, God, I'm going to do this, 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 and this if you do this. See, God's blessings upon us have, has, has nothing to do with the fact that we are good or, or not good. And there's nothing that we've done to earn or merit God's blessings. God's bless, God blesses his children because he desires to bless his children, because it's his will to bless you. Thank the Lord for his will. Amen? Don't be, don't be proud-hearted tonight, but go home and, and, and thank God that he, has, that he has, has, has willed to bless you and your home and your children. So we understand that God blesses us in spite of ourselves. And we know that God will never forsake us. So we have the confidence to know that we will receive the promises of God, not because we are worthy or have done anything to deserve them, Rather, because we are his children. In Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26, we read, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. So we prove our trust by our confidence in in God's promises. Then, secondly, we prove our trust by our contentment with his provisions. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. God is perfect in everything he does, and this includes his provision of everything we have today. So when we complain, when we want more than we have been given by God, what are we saying about his wisdom? What are we saying about his discernment? We are saying that God hasn't given us enough. We are saying that we deserve more. We deserve better than we have. Contentment is a wonderful thing. Growing up, I grew up in a, we weren't, we weren't a poor family, but we weren't a wealthy family either. But growing up, I trusted my mother and father. I knew that they loved me and that they had my best interest at heart. My parents were not wealthy. They could not give me all the things some of my other friends had in school. Now, we didn't, we didn't have all the things, of course, kids have today. I, I was telling my class one day, we only had one kind of tennis shoe. <laughs> that was Converse. That was it. Either high, either high tops or, 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 or low cuts. That was it. We didn't, we didn't have $350 shoes. My daddy would have never spent $350 for a pair of shoes. They couldn't give me, but they couldn't give me, I, I'd go to school and some of my other friends had, they had bell-bottoms. My daddy would, would never allow, he never allowed me to wear a pair of bell bottoms, ever. And, and I my always, the boot cut straight leg blue jeans, that's what I had to wear. And, but he never, he, he, he couldn't afford to give me necessarily everything all the other kids had. But he gave me everything I needed. My father made sure I had everything that I needed to be safe, to be healthy, and to do the things I needed to do. There were many times mom would go without to provide for us. Dad worked long and hard hours to provide the things that we needed. What an insult it would have been. What an insult it would have been to them for me to complain that I didn't have enough or that what they gave me wasn't good enough. I wasn't, I wasn't raised with that kind of character. My grandfather would have came across the yard and punched me in the teeth if I would have done that to my parents. But this is the problem with America today. People see the glass as half empty. Instead of seeing the half that is full, they focus on the half that's empty. And let me say tonight, why don't, why don't we stop complaining about what God hasn't given us, And start being thankful for what he has given us. He's given us his grace. He's given us his mercy. He's he's granted unto us eternal life. He's given us the inheritance in Christ. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us fellowship together with him and with each other. And when we are discontented, we demonstrate our lack of trust in God. Therefore, we cannot sing, I surrender all. Because we don't. And then we prove our trust, thirdly, by our courage, even in persecutions. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 27. Let's all turn there together. Psalm 27. And I want to read to you from Psalm 27. In this psalm, we see the great courage of David. Psalm 27. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. David was a man of courage. He wasn't afraid of his enemies. He wasn't afraid of what would happen to him. And you know, in the book of Luke, the Lord tells us not to fear man and what man can do. But he said, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him who hath power after he taketh the life to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. David knew that man could do nothing to his soul. But courage was nothing new to David. And the reason David had courage was because God had proven himself to David. David. Let's look at 1 Samuel. Turn with me now. Let's let's go back a few books to 1 Samuel. This is familiar scriptures to, I'm sure, most, if not all of you. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 32. 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 17. Let's look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And of course, this Philistine was Goliath. And Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him? For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go. And the Lord be with thee. David did not have any fear of Goliath. Now Goliath was quite a a man. He was nine foot nine inches tall. He had a helmet that he wore on his head that weighed 27 pounds. The spear of his head was about a 17 or 18 pound piece of granite. His, the shaft of his spear, the Bible says, was as a, as a, 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 weaver, a, a, a weaver's beam. Uh, if, the big beam that they put on a loom that they worked the beam up and down with. It was about the size of a fence post. He had a sword that stood over five foot tall. Probably almost as, almost as tall as David. And David, well, all he had was a shepherd's staff a sling, and five smooth stones. That was it. And he went out to challenge Goliath, and Goliath said, I'm going to cut your head off. And David said, no, you're not, because I'm going to, I'm going to sling this stone, and I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to cut your head off, because you defied my God. You, you opened your mouth against my Lord. See, David was completely committed to God. David, had, he was completely... David could stand there and sing, I surrender all, because he did. He surrendered his prosperity to the Lord. But today, men will not witness great victories like this. God will never show them such great victory, because they're not willing to step out for the Lord. They fail to step out and witness for the Lord. They fail to step out and commit to serving in their church. They fail to step out and trust the Lord for everything in their life. So what is your Goliath today? Whatever it may be, face it with courage and trust the Lord to deliver you. Tonight I ask you, do you surrender your prosperity to Jesus? Then secondly tonight, let me ask you, do you surrender your pride? Surrender your pride. Verse 2 of I Surrender All states, All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. Now, this is a message of a broken man, a man who realizes that all he has, and all that he is, and all that he will ever be, is in the hands of his master. Are you broken tonight? Broken in the sense that your will is in submission to the Lord's will? What greater example of this can I offer than the example of our Savior? Notice with me in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let's all turn there tonight. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus is the greatest example of this. Philippians chapter 2. And Let's begin reading at verse number 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found as fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Here we see that Jesus laid aside a great deal for the will of God. Let this mind be in you, Paul wrote. Let me share with you some of the things that Jesus laid aside. First, he laid aside his privileges. Jesus, the omnipotent God, the one true potentate, this this passage of scripture, Scripture states, made himself of no reputation. In other words, he emptied himself. He divested himself of his prerogatives. Certainly not his deity, and he was holy God and holy man. Not his deity, but his divine prerogatives and his divine privileges he laid aside. He gave up something that was his. He gave up himself, it says. Himself is accusative in the Greek. It was not done to him, but by him. He laid aside Himself, his own authority, his own power, he laid aside so that he might take upon him the flesh of man. He did not empty something from himself. Rather, he emptied himself from something. He emptied himself from the form of God into a form of man. He did not, it was not done to him, it was done by him. It's the same illustration as it would be for pouring water from a pitcher into a glass. If I had an empty glass, that's the the form of man, and I poured from the pitcher into the glass, it's the same water that's in the pitcher, therefore he didn't lose anything of himself. He emptied himself and became a man for us. The form is different, but the substance is the same. The nature is the same. While Jesus was holy man... He did not have the sinful nature of man. He maintained his divine nature. So he laid aside his privileges. But not only did he lay aside his privileges, secondly, he laid aside his prominence. By prominence, we mean majesty. He laid aside his prominence. Scriptures tell us, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. What a sacrifice Jesus made for us to take upon himself the humiliation of flesh. Now, don't make a mistake here. Jesus did not take upon him the sinful nature of man. We must be very careful to see that he was made in the likeness of men. This refers to an outward similarity, not an inward identification. In verse 6, we saw the phrase, Though, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, in this, we understand that Jesus stripped himself of his expression of deity, but not his possession of deity. Now, remember, Adam aspired to be like God, but Jesus condescended to be like man. It would be like a king wearing the wardrobe of a peasant and going out into the countryside. In his altered state, it is not apparent that he is the king. However, he remains the sovereign regal of his kingdom. He laid aside his authority. He laid aside his majesty. Then thirdly, he laid aside his praise. Again, we saw in the passage, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was to die a criminal's death. He was to suffer the most horrible death imaginable. There was to be no honor for him. His diadem would be replaced with a crown of thorns. His scepter would be replaced with a reed. His robes of righteousness would be replaced with a peasant's robe. The lauds of all heaven's host would be replaced with the jeers of the howling mobs. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty would be replaced with, crucify him, crucify him. The lion of the tribe of Judah would become the lamb, dumb before his shearers. And all of this was done so that he would fulfill the will of the Father, so that he would obey this sovereign and perfect will. He laid aside his privileges, he laid aside his prominence, and he laid aside his praise. Now I ask you today, what have we laid aside for him? I said, number one, today, tonight, surrender your prosperity. Number two, I said, surrender your pride. Number three, do you surrender your purpose? Do you surrender your purpose? Our third verse of, of the song states, All to Jesus I surrender. Make me, Savior, holy thine. May thy Holy Spirit fill me. May I know... Thy power divine. Turn with me once again, please, to Acts chapter 9. I know I'm asking you to turn to a lot of scriptures tonight. But these are scriptures, I believe, that it, it benefits us to, to read together. Acts chapter 9. I'll begin reading at verse 1. And Saul... And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. An examination of the life of Saul of Tarsus will reveal that this was a young man driven by his faithfulness to Judaism. Paul even spoke of his credentials as a Pharisee in Philippians chapter 3, where he writes, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now from this, I can easily assume that Paul had plans for his life that did not follow the same path as God's plan and purpose for him. If you had met me 31 years ago and told me that I would become a, a minister and spend my life mentor, mentoring and preparing young men and young women for a life of service to God... I would have labeled you a lunatic in my wildest imaginations I did not envision my life being what it is today when the moment came for Paul to make a decision as to whether or not he would surrender his purpose to God his response was Lord what wilt thou have me to do consider Joseph for a moment do you think that Joseph's Plans in life was to be sold into slavery by his own brothers, to spend his life as a slave in the home of Potiphar, just to be falsely accused and cast into prison, there to be forgotten. But God had a purpose in all of this. We read in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Joseph's brothers were afraid that Joseph would kill him because Joseph was now the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh. And they feared for their lives and Joseph said, you know, I'm not God. I'm not here to judge you. You meant, you meant to do evil to me, but God used that and turned it into good. And as a matter of fact, he used your evil to save your own worthless hides. These men had plans for their life, but God had other plans. And when they faced God's will, they surrendered their own purposes, their own plans, and they accepted with faith and contentment. The road that was laid before them. But what about you and I tonight? Do we make our plans without any consideration for God's plan, wills, or his purpose for our life? Or can we sing, I surrender all, because we actually do? Tonight, surrender our prosperity, surrender our pride, surrender our purpose. And then lastly, number four, surrender your potential. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul writes, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Paul realized that he could do nothing apart from Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 10, Paul writes, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. But by the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. Hey, don't get too puffed up. Don't get too proud of our feeble little accomplishments in this life. If you can stand behind this pulpit and if you can sing and you can, you can melodize and people are going, ooh, don't get too proud of that because this little box right here, God can take away that fast. If God has endued you with good looks like he has me, better watch out you better not invest your whole life into making yourself the most luscious thing around because one accident can take away beauty remember beauty is only skin deep but by the grace of God we are what we are and it's by his grace alone that we can do anything and we better not forget that so you think you have potential tonight tonight Well, God has other plans, and our plans do not matter. Our plans do not matter. It's God's plans that matter, and we had better get in tune. Sometimes when people leave after a message that I have preached, they are generally very gracious and tell me what a great job I did. However, what they should say is this, what a great God we have that can take a feeble man such as you and use you to speak to my heart. That's what we should say. Because anything that I will say tonight that will bless your soul is by the grace of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Because I'll tell you the truth, I don't have any good advice to give anyone. The only advice I have that's worth anything comes from this book. Right here. When we talk about surrendering our potential to the Lord, we really aren't talking about surrendering a whole lot. Because the only potential we have is to sin. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Romans chapter 3, we read, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And the only way, the only possibility that you and I can do anything good in the sight of God is by his grace and through his grace. I love the words of this last stanza of I surrender all, where where the... Composer writes, fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. The only hope we have of doing anything meaningful for God is if God himself does it. If we surrender all to him and allow him to live through us, then we will accomplish great things. Not, not we, but he who lives within us. Because apart from Christ, we can never love And we will have no power. So, I surrender all. But do we? Do we truly surrender all this evening? Or are we just deceiving ourselves and everyone around us? Now, I'm not judging anyone here today. The message tonight that I have preached to you, the questions I have asked you throughout this message were first preached and asked to and of myself. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I'm, I've, I've arrived at any of these things tonight. I'm not passing judgment on anyone. I'm, I'm trying to provoke you to ask yourself, do I surrender all to Christ? I pray that God will use this humble outline to cause each of us to examine our hearts and answer that question. Now, I'm going to have Brother Moline come up and the, and the musicians. And we're going to, tonight, we're not going to sing our usual closing hymn. We're going to sing, I Surrender All. And Brother Eric, I have the, I have the words to the stanzas there, right? I want you to put those up. And ladies, if you would, I, I just want to play one chorus at the very end, one refrain at the end. We'll sing all four verses, Brother Moline, with just one refrain at the end.